Welcome to another episode of the Introverted Loudmouth Podcast. I am Dr. E. Michelle Mickens, your leadership doctor and host. This podcast answers questions and addresses concerns that matter to leaders nationally and around the globe. It's here where we will discuss topics and issues that encourage out-of-the-box thinking, challenge mindsets, and empower you with a fresh approach to solving old problems. I'll have subject matter experts share insights on how they successfully overcame their obstacles and show you how to do the same. This leadership podcast is designed to excel, educate, empower, and expand you. It's about the B4 Real experience. Now, Real is an acronym and it stands for Reliable, Ethical, Authentic Learner. We're talking real leaders, real producers, and real results. So before we get started, I want to ask you to not only listen, but to like and share this episode. You will not be disappointed. So today, today we're going to continue the conversation about microaggressions from the employee experience perspective. Now, this conversation actually began with episode number 11. This was part of my Leaders Who Love Lead With Love series. And I'll make sure that if you're interested in learning or hearing this particular episode, I'll make sure that the link is part of the description of today's broadcast. Last week, I charged you with the challenge to begin having the conversation about microaggressions now in your workspace. So I wanna say a a couple of things right now. I wanna be clear because I don't want any assumptions to be made that I don't recognize microaggression doesn't only apply to African-Americans. I understand that it, Many various groups experience microaggressions. We know that it's not uh, relegated to just African-American women, but we know that men experience it. We know people with different disabilities experience it, um, age, sex discrimination. So I understand microaggressions are not relegated to just African-American women, but that is the perspective that I will be sharing with you on today. Now, in light of COVID-19 and its impact on African-Americans with the protesting against bigotry and discrimination and racism and all of its evil consequences, many of us, many of us are feeling a little overwhelmed, especially African-Americans right about now. It's definitely been a roller coaster of emotions for me. Listen, I grew up in the 60s. I've witnessed and I've experienced directly and indirectly various bouts of racism. But I want to share a little bit just to give you some context as to why this topic is so necessary to have uh, discussions around and not only just talk about it, but to offer some solutions. I'm gonna share just a little bit more of my personal um, experience and why, again, this is the perfect time to start 
as best as possible, putting an end to some of this crazy that's attached to the aggression. One of the things that really used to, I'll say it like this, used to piss me off, but now I'm maturing. There are phrases, these, these presumptive comments, these which were really more like micro insults. People would say, and I'm really talking about Caucasians, they would say, I don't see color. Some of my friends are black. Now, what I've learned, and this is why I said I am maturing, I've learned that often when this is said, this is unconscious. The micro insult is not deliberate. I do believe that many who's, who make statements such as these are trying to find a way to relate, especially relate to, an, to uh, a black or an African-American person. And so they'll say things like, you know, oh, I don't see color. This came up not too long ago. I would say maybe a few months ago where I'm having a conversation. I'm in a meeting and I'm trying to get the, the woman to describe because she's saying to me, you know this person who I'm talking about, and I did not know who she was talking about. So I asked her to, to describe them. Um, and she struggled a little bit. Well, actually, no, she didn't struggle. It's just that she wasn't very clear. And so I just came out and I said, well, is she black or white? And I think that set her off a little bit because she wasn't sure, she wasn't very comfortable to say that she was black. And so I, you know, I, as best as I could, I put her at ease and I said, oh, it's okay. I said, you're just helping me understand who we're talking about. I want to be on the same page as you. Well, long story short, she said, well, I don't see color. And I just, I knew because I'm, I'm understanding who this person is, I knew that there was no, no hidden agenda, nothing malicious behind that statement. But what she didn't realize, and this is something that I want to emphasize why having these conversations are so necessary. She didn't realize that by simply saying, I don't see color, she was also saying she didn't see me because quite honestly, the first thing you're gonna notice about me is the color of my skin. But I also know that when people say things such as, well, some of my friends or some of my closest friends are black, that also informs me that there's a reason why it was important for you to distinguish the color of your friends to me. So I know sometimes when it comes down to, you know, what is the right thing to say? What is the wrong thing to say? Can, you know, many have said that African-Americans are overly sensitive or, you know, there's no right way to have a conversation. Well, there is, there really is. And we'll talk a little bit about how, what are some of the right ways or the better ways to have conversations about race, about skin, and how to keep your organization moving forward. Because I've stated this before, if you're, if you're seeing that you're stagnant in your organization and that you're not growing at the rate that you desire to grow, Everything begins with the mindset of your people, the mindset and, and the workplace atmosphere. What are acceptable and appropriate behaviors in the workplace? And so when 
someone is dealing with microaggression on a daily basis, they're coming and showing up to work unable to completely be themselves and therefore struggle to give you the 100% that you need as a leader from that person. So let's go a little further. Let's, let's have a little bit more um, context for this conversation that we're having now. I want to share another story before I go further. Uh, microaggression is one thing when it is put upon us by a Caucasian person. But microaggression is also something that is experienced by our own race. I have experienced microaggression from another African-American woman and it's happened periodically in my lifetime, but not too long ago, it was a few years ago, but I'll vividly, I remember this conversation because she and I were planning to go and do a presentation together. And I was so glad to have her on board and we're, we're making, you know, preparation. And somehow, somewhere in this conversation, she said, you know, you're very aggressive. And I was just kind of taken aback because I felt that, A, we had a, a, a good relationship, a good working relationship because we've worked together for some time. And so I would think, or I thought she knew my, my personality and she knew enough about me to not say something like, I'm aggressive. So I was taken aback by that, but it wasn't really the first time that I've been told that. It was many years when I was much younger and I would probably agree that then I might have been aggressive. But as I've matured, I just found it very hard to believe. I know that I'm very passionate and I can be uh, demonstrative with my, my body language. And so I just listened to what she said, but it was one of those mental notes. One more thing that I had to think about as I engaged in conversation, even with my own race. So I thought that that was important to say because when you hear a lot of the conversations about microaggression, it's not always just about the, you know, another race against African-Americans. It can happen very strongly within our own race. Now, in today's Washington Post. So today is June 11th. In today's Washington Post, an article entitled Ohio GOP lawmaker asks if colored population is hard hit by COVID-19 because they don't wash their hands as well. Hmm. And I I normally don't even read the Washington Post, but this popped up in my I believe it was my Facebook feed. And so I clicked on the article because I couldn't believe, first of all, that that was the title of the article. But as I read, Republican Ohio State Senator Huffman, who is also an emergency room physician, was quoted saying this. I understand African-Americans have a higher incident of chronic conditions and that makes them more susceptible to death from COVID. 
But why does it not make them more susceptible to just get COVID? He asked, could it just be that African-Americans or the colored population do not wash their hands as well as other groups or wear a mask or do not socially distance themselves? Could that be the explanation for why the higher incidence? Now, later in the article, State Representative Stephanie House, a Democrat from Cleveland, who's also the president of the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus, she was present at this particular hearing and she told the Dayton, the Dayton, Dayton Daily News that Huffman's word choice and question highlights what racism is from a systemic perspective. I say thank you, Senator Hoffman, Huffman, for showing your true colors. Thank you for showing your true colors. We are in a critical point. And for someone, you know, you wonder, where have you been? Is your head in the sand? Are you just not thinking? Are you just that insensitive given what is taking place now? People are still protesting. You know, racism is on the forefront of most people's minds. And then you make a statement like this and continue to belabor the point, acting as if you're totally oblivious to what you just said. And maybe perhaps he was. Maybe that was implicit biasness. I just find that difficult to fathom. But let's go on because, again, what was stated here is what needs to be addressed. And one way that, especially from an employer-employee perspective, one way that you begin to deal with this, pay, pay attention to the employee experience in the workplace culture. That's one way that you can start honing in on whether or not microaggression is something of, that needs to be addressed that is of concern. I mentioned this earlier in the year that what's trending, what employees desire is to have a positive workplace experience. And I love this particular quote from Richard Branson. Richard Branson said this, clients do not come first, employees come first. If you take care of your employees, they will take care of the clients. According to O.C. Tanner's A Modern Approach to Improving Workplace Culture 2020, they stated, they reported that 92 percent of employees define their experiences as what happens every day at work. They define their experiences as what happens every day at work. So imagine what African-Americans experience every day at work. Imagine what many who are of different socioeconomic backgrounds, those who may be living with a disability, 
those who are different than the dominant group in the organization. Imagine what they experience every day. Now, last week I defined microaggression as little cuts. Little cuts that one experiences on a regular basis. So every time we suffer an insult, every time we are asked questions such as, why do you talk like that? Why do you dress that way? Why are you wearing your natural hair? Or why do you wear your hair like that? Those are cuts because it's an attack against our personhood. It's an attack against our identity. It's an attack against what makes us different. And that's our experience every day. So now companies really are committed to providing positive experiences for their employees. I believe that this was shared also in the beginning of the year. Many stakeholder um, investors, many large corporations, multinational corporations, they signed a pledge and they said that they would really focus on providing this positive employee experience for their stakeholders by focusing more on purpose, providing more opportunities for them to grow, to show and demonstrate how well they are appreciated, to have an emphasis on their total well-being, and to invest in their leadership so that overall the experience not only will be good, but that they would be more productive, that they would be more loyal, and therefore the companies would continue to thrive, if not perform better. Psychological safety is another trending desire, if you will, that many employees are requesting of their organizations. And now, given COVID-19, all the more reason we want to provide not only the most positive employee experience, but we want them to feel that they have a safe place to work. So this is extremely relevant, especially when we talk about microaggressions where there's no safety, there's no trust. And that's a barrier to being a productive organization. So it's important to know what those barriers are, identify them, address them, and then remove the barriers. But it requires the leader to be an active listener, to be more involved, hands-on, to be seen, and to engage you are going to quickly, if you do these things on a regular basis, you're going to quickly know the temperature, know the climate, and know what is happening 
in the workplace culture. And then you'll be able to address and identify these barriers. In a TEDx talk, this was a TEDx Oakland talk entitled Eliminating Microaggressions, the Next Level of Inclusion. Tiffany Alvoid was the presenter and she she offered these uh, recommendations as solutions to eliminating microaggression. And I stand with her on these solutions. One, pause. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. If you want to, if you want to experience a positive workplace experience, if you want to feel safe, then you be the initiator. You be the one to be mindful of what is going to come out of your mouth, especially if you are heated or upset. Pause. Think about what you're getting ready to say next. And then ask questions. Number two, is what I'm going to say be offensive? Is it necessary? And then does this contribute to the growth of the organization? Or as Tiffany said, to a growth mindset. It is so important to take a breath, pause, and think before you stir up and trigger unnecessary feedback, unnecessary emotions, unnecessary negative experiences in the workplace. Now, as a leader, it's imperative that you take the lead and demonstrate the appropriate behaviors in the workplace. We all can get upset. We all want to see certain results. And so we want to emphasize those things. But it's important that we don't make any of our conversation personal. We don't attack the person. We can absolutely go after the result and we can say, you know, we're not, we're not where we need to be. We're missing our mark. We can go to the team. We can go to the team leader. But what we don't do is call someone out and shame them or embarrass them. It's, it's counterproductive. And again, little cuts. You don't want to be the contributor to cutting someone unnecessarily. In Dr. Daniel Goldman's book, Social Intelligence, and I talk about this quite a bit because I believe that not only should, as we talk about the workplace uh, employee experience, as we talk about psychological safety, as we talk about solutions to eliminating microaggression, I wholeheartedly believe social intelligence is a key component to eliminating or at least alleviating a lot of the stress that rises up in the workplace. And in Dr. Daniel Goldman's book, 
Social Intelligence, The New Science of Human Relationships. He defines social intelligence as the ability to successfully build relationships and navigate social environments. And then the book points out uh, several key elements that I think are worth looking at. Two of them I'll share here. One, strong relationships improve our immune system and help combat disease. Number two, loneliness and weak relationships are one of the major sources of stress, health problems, and depression. And so this is not relegated to any ethnic group. But again, imagine when you're dealing with microaggression, we tend to isolate. We tend to withdraw from our aggressor. And so the workplace experience becomes difficult to deal with. Many times we feel like we have to become somebody different. We have to show up different than who we genuinely are when we go to work. Because like anyone else, we want to be accepted. Our, our true goal is not to blend in, but to come whole, our whole selves, show up and be accepted with all of our nuances and being respected as a vital contributor to the growth and health of the organization. But we suffer in our physical bodies. You hear this often, African-Americans, you know, our health, our stress levels are high, depression, so many stressors feed into our overall, overall health because we're dealing with microaggression. And we don't often talk about it. We often swallow it. We've been taught from our childhood how to cope, how to deal with these things. Even now, I can find an article that will teach us how to, you know, things that we can do as we tolerate this type of behavior. That's putting a Band-Aid on a wound that's, that's not going to heal. It's not going to heal because the Band-Aid is always being snatched off. Because we're always getting cut. So we cannot truly heal. But if you as the leader take that initiative and open up conversations, especially giving African Americans the opportunity to share what they are experiencing on a regular basis is going to change. Now, everybody's not going to jump on board. We understand that. But overall, there will be a positive change as people take a look within themselves and see what do I need to do to be a better person, to behave different, to show up differently when I'm at work. I also believe that it's important to have continuous training, not only training, but to have continuous training in addition to all of these other pieces that come into play as we talk about eliminating microaggression. 
unconscious unconscious and implicit bias training absolutely is important to do. It will not hold any water if that's all that's done once a year and treated as a checklist item. There are so many other types of training that should be available as well as wraparound services. So not only do you offer training, but you offer coaching. Because these, again, are critical if the goal is to change the culture and invite a more positive experience for all employees. Training such as uh, social responsibility, corporate social responsibility, ethics, organizational culture. These are going, these are supportive elements, but it's, it should tie into an overall goal in the organization to address the elephant in the room, to address the hard topics centered around racism, discrimination, bigotry. If you do these things, you're going to see positive change and the opposite is true. So I hope, because I promise you, this was not the easiest conversation for me to have. It's never easy, but it's necessary. I hope that this was helpful. I hope that this triggered some thought. And I want to offer my services. Live for Change is the name of my company, and we are a global strategic leadership development consultancy. And we offer a program through our Be For Real Leadership Series. And I mentioned earlier, REAL is an acronym for Reliable, Ethical, Authentic Learner. We offer virtual class style training, videos, as well as in-person training. We train nonprofits, churches, as well as corporations. The topics that we cover, ethical leadership, corporate social responsibility, inclusion, diversity, implicit uh, implicit, uh, bias training, organizational culture change. We also offer personal leadership development and we have customized training available. I think it's a good time now, especially in the climate that we're dealing with. Now is a good time for a strategy session. Reach out www.live4changellc.com forward slash training. And I'll also make sure that we leave a link in the description. You can click on that link and access other services. See what else Live for Change has available for you, the leader. Our goal is to help build you up right where you are to help you get to where you desire to be. Not just for you, but for you and your organization. It's all about change. So I'm Dr. E. Michelle Mickens. I want to thank you again for your time. And until we meet again, be safe, be wise, and be for real. Take care.